Digital Marketing Radio, episode 259. Five tips on how to use neuroscience to grab your audience's attention. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the podcast and YouTube show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends as shared on DMR by today's modern marketing masters. Now, we all know that content marketing is an essential part of today's marketing mix, but there are so many different forms of content. How does everything fit together? And how do you truly capture the attention of your audience in the current era of content overload? Those are just two of the questions that I'm going to be asking my guest on Digital Marketing Radio, episode 259. She is a 2020 inductee into the Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame as an innovative individual, has 20 plus years of experience in content, and is founder of AHA Media, a copywriting content strategy and content marketing consultancy based just outside of Washington, D.C. in the U.S. Welcome to DMR, AHAVA Leibtag. Hi, it's great to be here, David. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Uh, great to have you on here. Um, you can find Ahava over at ahamediagroup.com. So today we're sharing about five tips on how to use neuroscience to grab your audience's attention. So how does neuroscience fit into content marketing? Sure. So I think the first thing that most of us know intuitively, because we got into this business because we love to tell stories, is that the brain is primed for storytelling. We actually learn best through narrative. Uh, that probably came about because we pass stories on to our children in order to make sure that they could survive. So for example, you would tell them stories about like where there were berries or when somebody ate a berry that was dangerous for them or something like that. And so we really learn through storytelling. And in fact, one of the things I always tell my team is facts tell, stories sell. So you can talk all the facts you want about a product or a service, but if you don't talk about the story behind why something is happening, you're not going to captivate people, which is really what we're looking to do. So that's the first thing that I would tell people is that the brain is primed for stories. And once you get people into the story, then you can start talking to them about the differentiators of the services and the products. But first you got to tell the story. Uh, one of the things I always, uh, the stories that I tell that sort of captures this for me is that when Steve Jobs first introduced the iPod to the world, he held it up and he said, uh, you can carry 10,000 songs in your pocket. Right, right away, that's just a story that people can immediately think about. All those CDs, all those records that I have, you know, all those cassette tapes, now all of a sudden they're on this tiny device. He didn't talk about the memory or the design or anything like that. He just went straight into the emotional storytelling capture of it. And I think that when you're creating content marketing, very often we tend to zero in on the things that we think are important to people because in our corporate lives, or our agency lives, or even our own entrepreneurial agency setting, or, you know, as a business owner, we think that the, 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 facts and the, you know, data points and all that is really what's important to people. But first you got to pull them in with a great story and then you can start to sell them on the things that are really going to make the difference to them in the buying process. 
I love that. And Steve Jobs is a wonderful example as well. You didn't actually even at the time realise that he was using stories. It was just, he just felt so relatable and so obvious. And he put it so succinctly as to why this new product was relevant to the audience and why everyone absolutely had to have one. If you'd focused on this iPad is five gigabytes and you can store that amount of data on there, perhaps as Bill Gates would have done, you, you would have never actually sold as many. Well, it's interesting about Steve Jobs, because I think that, and I know this is going to take us off, but I just want to say this, is that, you know, very often we tend to look down on sales or sales and marketing have friction with each other. And there's all kinds of like issues there. But I think one of the interesting thing about Steve Jobs is that if you were to ask somebody, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Steve Jobs, you think of innovation, but he was also a great salesperson. I mean, he really knew how to sell an idea. And in fact, I think the great, um, entrepreneurs and minds that we look up to today really understand how to sell ideas to people. And I think that when you're telling a story, that's what you're doing. You're selling an idea. So just before we get to the core topic, you focus on healthcare marketing. So, so how is that different to other forms of content marketing? Well, so then the next thing I'm going to talk about in terms of neuroscience is something called the amygdala hijack. So when somebody is confronted with information that's super scary to them, as in a healthcare setting, whether it's my child has a croupy cough to, oh my God, I found a lump in my body, they're immediately taken into that sort of like reptilian part of their brain, which is where our fight or flight center happens. And as soon as we're triggered with something dangerous, let's say you see a snake, you know, immediately your body starts pumping out cortisol in order to help you make the decision of, do I run, which I need this extra hormone to do, or do I stay and fight, which I need this extra hormone to do. And so anytime I've seen a snake, I've run, just so we're clear about that. So so that's, that's where in healthcare, it's so incredibly important to pay attention to calming people down using very plain language. I call it patient-centric language or customer-centric language, explaining things in a very, not simple, but a way that's easy for them to understand, breaking down complex topics so that you're moving them along a path This is called adult learning theory, progressive disclosure. People who have experience with web writing might actually call this bite snack meal, meaning you give people a small bite of information so that they can sort of calm down that amygdala hijack. Then you give them a snack, which sort of brings them into their executive functioning, into their frontal cortex of their brain. And then you give them the meal, which is now they're calm enough to really be able to understand what's happening. So that's in healthcare, that is probably the the most important thing that we do, even more than storytelling, because when somebody's confronted with something and they start Googling, you know, like crazy, what's wrong with me? What You want to sort of calm them down when they find your content so that immediately trust is created and then they can really learn what they need to know in order to make that important decision. Lots of great tips there. I'm not sure within what you said there, you've covered any of the tips, but but let's focus specifically on the five tips on how to use neuroscience to grab your audience's attention. So, okay. so what is... Tip number one. So the tip number one is to tell stories. Stories, facts sell, facts tell, stories sell. So that's the first one. The first one is just tell a great story. Um, And every story within it has three things, exposition, conflict, and resolution. So I once had a music teacher, a professor in college who said to us, imagine if you went to a Broadway play and you were watching people coming home from work, kissing each other, sitting down at the dinner table, having a conversation. He's like, how long do you think that Broadway play would be open? He's like, a night, maybe. 
there has to be conflict, right? And typically when you're talking about marketing, and I'm not talking about storytelling in general now, when you're talking about marketing, the conflict really should lie inside of what the person is grappling with. What kinds of information do they need? And that's really where great stories come from. Very often, one of the effective techniques is we think that customer testimonials are really critical and, you know, case studies and that kind of thing. But when you're writing a great case study, you have to find the conflict that this client that you helped that that person who's reading the case study relates to. And so I always tell people, start off with a story. Even in the executive summary, try to find something that you can put in there that helps somebody understand why this is relatable to them. The second thing is, is to use customer-centric language. Um, plain language is defined as, can people find what they need, You understand what they need, and use what they need? So when... When you're talking about basic content marketing, let's say in an IT situation, the amygdala hijack may not really be happening that often. But at some point in a B2B situation, even somebody may really be nervous about a decision that they have to make, and it's hard for them to focus on the content. So you really want to use that language that helps explain things to people in a way that's sort of that bite snack meal. Give them the information that they need. Let them choose to keep going and learning more and more about the topic that you're talking about. So I just think this, the second thing is knowing that the brain can get overloaded with information, slowly taking people along a path is really uh, important. So customer-centric language, is that part of the tip number one or is that the beginning of tip no, number it's two? it's part of tip number two. Okay. Okay. Got you. Amyg uh, amygdala hijack. I haven't heard of that amygdala before. <laughs> You're coming up with language that's um, difficult to pronounce, but wonderful to research, certainly. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, when you're talking about neuroscience, understanding the three parts of the brain are really important. You know, the the that amygdala is the center of the brain. If you believe in evolution, then you believe that that was the first part of the brain, then the midbrain, and then the frontal cortex is what makes us different than lower mammals because we're able to have executive reasoning and functioning in that part of our brain and enables us to create, to have ideas, to do things like that. So you only see that amongst gorillas, whales, you know, the higher mammals. You don't see that in the lower mammals. And that's why, that's where culture comes from. That's where storytelling comes from. So I think that you know, understanding that our brains are very important to the way we make decisions is really helpful for marketers because we're always trying to figure out what makes our audience tick, but you're talking to humans. So they all have brains and they all have a certain way that they react to things that's been proven through science. So just knowing that I thought, I think sort of sets a level playing field for how people can Think about, okay, how do I tell stories? How do I calm people down? How do I teach them according to the way that adults learn and so on and so forth? And I love the way that you're using great storytelling to teach content marketing here as well. It's certainly something that people will remember. I would imagine that you're giving these kind of talks face-to-face -face or when you can actually deliver speeches. And um, um, this is particularly memorable. What, what kind of feedback do you get from what, what you're sharing at the moment? I think people really 
absolutely love it. I think they love it for two reasons. The first is, is that they remember it. Mm. And the second thing is, is that when they have to defend their choices, they can defend them based on data and science. So we always talk about it. Aha Media Group, writers make choices. I mean, everyone makes choices, right? But I, whenever my children leave the house, I say to them, make good choices. But writers make choices. And so one of the values that I always use when I'm talking to writers about their work is, tell me why you made the choice you made. Why did you use this keyword versus this keyword? Why did you put the story here? Why is the lead in the third paragraph instead of the first paragraph? Tell me what you're thinking. If a writer has a really strategic answer for why they made the choice that they made, then I have a great conversation with them. If they're like, well, I just did it because I did it, that's a very different type of conversation. And so I think that the reason people love these ideas around neuroscience and marketing is that when they're talking to their executives or their bosses or their colleagues about, let's try this, it's based in neuroscience, it immediately gives it sort of a heft and a truth to it mm. that, oh, let's just do this because we want to do this type of situation. Yeah. Great, great thoughts. And so let me take you into... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, have we made it onto tip tip three or are we just coming yeah, to that one? Yeah, now we're on tip three. Yeah, now okay. we're on tip three. So the Von Restorff effect says that people notice things that they um, that stick out. So have you ever played that game, which one of these things doesn't belong? I think so. Not, not recently, yeah. but... <laughs> so, that's, so that's the Von Restorff effect. The Von Restorff effect says that you know, and that also comes from evolution, right? The idea that we were on the plane and then all of a sudden something would come in that looked different, that triggered in our brain, uh-oh, we need to figure out what this is. So our minds are really designed to look for patterns in things because that helps us survive. And then we we really want everything to just be the same all the time, which is probably why people suffer so, much, so many behavioral health and mental health issues, because we don't live in a society that really aligns with what our brains want. Our brains don't want danger. They don't want change. They don't want constant, you know, attention, clinging, beeping phones. They really want things to be level. So, the Von Restorff effect in marketing allows us to do that. So I'll give you an example. Imagine all these green apples in a row, like four mm -hmm. green apples, and then one is red. Where is your eye immediately going to go? It's going to go to the red one because it's different. So uh, a famous consumer example of this is um, eat more chicken from Chick-fil-A. So it's a picture of a cow. And then it is a... Um, you know, the word chicken is misspelled because the cow is saying it. That's supposed to be funny. But actually, if the marketers realized it or they didn't realize it, that was the Von Restorff effect. They were using a misspelling of the word chicken to get people to pay attention to the ad. So that can be very, very helpful in a content marketing situation, the Von Restorff effect, because you can use it to sort of get people to pay attention and say, ah, which one of these things doesn't belong? Perfect example is, is um, Seth Godin's The Purple Cow. You never seen a purple cow. All of a sudden, there's a purple cow. That's the Von Restorff effect. And then where it's highly debated in marketing, I think more than any place else, is whether or not to use emojis in your content. So that would be an example of Von Restorff effect. Most subject lines and emails don't have emojis. So when you're looking at your inbox and you see one pop up, that your eye and brain zeroing in on that emoji is an example of the Von Restorff effect. Got you. Okay. And if someone's writing a big piece of content, how do you actually bring this principle into effect to get someone to focus on a specific piece of text, for example? This is not a, well, you could use font design and things like that, but this is not a word neuroscience issue. Okay. This is more of a visual issue. Although I do think 
It's it's a visual issue, the Von Restorf effect. I do think you can do that with words, but it's a very different kind of play, and I don't know if it fits into that neuroscience category. Okay, but it's something wonderful to think about. Great tip, though. That's tip number three. What is tip number four? Tip number four is something called the Eaton Rosen phenomenon, and that's the idea that we want language to be melodious and to sort of rhyme, in a sense. So if you think of like the old commercials like Be Like Mike... Or Timex, it takes a lickin' and keeps on ticking. Mm-hmm. So those are examples of things that um, that people use in order to get people's attention. In the United States, for example, there have been a lot of vaccine sort of public health campaigns, and they've used rhyming words, um, you know, to sort of get people to to think about getting um, getting the vaccine. Um, Something from healthcare, um, seven reasons why your health affects your wealth, or um, can you control your mood around food? Those are examples of the Eaton Rosen phenomenon that sort of help people hear things in a way that makes them stick in the mind. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that's, exactly. That's from O.J. Simpson. Exactly yes, that's exactly. exactly it. That's exactly it. So yeah, I think that that's that's uh, that's an important one. And I, what I always say to people is, I don't think you need to make it rhyme exactly, but it needs to flow. It needs to sound good. That's why it's so important to read your content out loud because if you can't hear what it sounds like, you can't hear what it's going to sound like for somebody when they're reading it in their own head. Yeah, yeah, lots to think about there. Um, but let's move on to tip number five. So what's that one? So that's something called the causal leap. And the causal leap is the idea that what happens if you don't put enough facts into the story to help people make the right determination? So I always use an example. I'm going to read off my screen here from a book called The Invisible Gorilla. Listen to these two sentences. Joey's big brother punched him again and again. The next day, his body was covered by bruises. Joey's crazy mom became furiously angry with him. The next day, his body was covered by bruises. So most people... When they were asked, they thought that Joey's mother was the reason why Joey was covered with bruises, Mm -hmm. because that was the second sentence that you read. But really, the first sentence told you that Joey's big brother actually punched him. So that's where the causal leap comes in, is that you really have to fill in the, the information for people and make it as clear as possible. I'll give you another example. Um, the divorce rate in Maine um, correlates with per capita consumption of margarine. So if you eat a certain t- amount of margarine, your, divor- your divorce follows through with that. That's ridiculous. It's, it sounds right? like but an excellent tool. That that's right. But we do that all the time because yeah. our job in our brains is to fill in information that doesn't make sense. You see children do this all the time because they don't have enough information to process the world. So and political parties. What? And political parties do that all the time. Well. Yes, every, right? Everyone. Oh, you know, what? you could look at the, the coronavirus as like the perfect example of this. You know, people are making all sorts of jumps in their heads. Well, we've never seen this before. It must be a biological weapon. So, and no comment on that. I'm, I'm not trying to make any political statement. I'm just saying that people Just stay away from 5G. Make- no. <laughs> <laughs> people, especially if you got the vaccine, that shit might magnetize. But people, I think, do tend to make leaps in their thinking that are not appropriate or really don't follow. So when you're writing content and you're thinking about putting together campaigns, make sure you clearly spell these things out. I'll give you an example. A lot of times you read a case study and sometimes you're confused. Like what exactly did the company do to affect the success that 
they had. And I think the reason this happens is because the person writing assumes that the person reading the case study understands what the company does and understands that obviously they made this make sense. You know, obviously they were the one that affected the change. So that's where I very often am reading content. And I think to myself, you didn't tie these two ideas together strongly enough. And therefore you allowed for there to be this causal leap that might be wrong. So a lot of information there, and it's almost information overload for a content marketer that's just thinking about creating a piece of content. Um, are there maybe one or two examples of where specifically within the customer buying cycle, where to fit in these examples? For example, uh, a big hero piece of content where someone's discovering your brand for the first time, or maybe a piece of um, hub episodic um, content where someone's um, building up your perception of your brand, your authority um, as, a, as a thought leader. Um, are there one or two instances of, of where to use these tactics, these, these wonderful um, skills in, in those pieces of content? Absolutely. So why don't we think about the funnel? Because I okay. think that that's an important thing that most people think about. So I think at the top of the funnel, the Eaton-Rosen phenomenon and the Von Restorff effect are both attention-grabbing neuroscience techniques. You can get people to pay attention by showing them something visually that doesn't fit or by using words that rhyme. Once you've captured their attention and you're in the middle of the funnel and you sort of want to explain things to them, you really want to think about that bite-snack meal of progressive disclosure approach that sort of works to calm down any sort of amygdala hijack, make sure that that's making sense. Um, you you want to tell stories, definitely in the top and the middle of the funnel. And then at the bottom of the funnel, you really want to think about that causal leap, making sure that you're tying together the idea of this success that you're showing them with the potential for them to have success by using your product or service. Great. Thank you. I've got a lot to think about there. I'm developing a content marketing model myself at the moment. So I think I'll re-listen to that and think where exactly where uh, you've shared fits into various parts of that as well. But, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I tell you what, let's segue to part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Ahava's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with secret software. So I have a share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. So actually think this is probably not well known in the, um, I'll tell you two. The first is Grammarly and the second is the Hemingway app. Grammarly actually has a voice and tone um, uh, analyzer now. And I think that very often when we're creating content, we're really thinking about SEO and optimization and all that stuff. But we also have to think about how it's going to land with the end user. And so running your content through some of these softwares that help make sure that it is plain language, that people do understand it, that it's in the active voice, that you're following all these best practices, I think really does sort of um, help create the best type of content possible, written content for your audience. So I would highly suggest Grammarly Pro as well as um, Hemingway. And Hemingway, you just co copy and paste a piece of content and its uh, digital reader will tell you all kinds of things that you need to know about whether or not it's good content. Great. Okay. So uh, I think I've experimented with Hemingway app before. Uh, and I've also exper experimented with a tool like, called Jarvis AI. Um, so they yes. essentially write content on your behalf. Um, so how close, in your opinion, is AI to being able to write content on your behalf? Or are we a long way away from that happening? Yeah, I don't, I haven't really seen an example in the history of the world where artificial intelligence was really able to take over a creative endeavor for people. But hey, you never know. 
You never know. Okay. Not, not too worried about it right now. <laughs> well, that's good to to know. So um, let's move on from something you currently use to something that you're going to use. So that is next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? You know, I really want to try Reels because I think they're fun and I think it's an opportunity. I think Instagram's a better channel for kind of the stuff that I do at AHA Media Group. Um, but I don't know... I'm not sure yet. I don't know. And so since I don't know, I haven't really tried it. But maybe after this interview, I'll go and put one together just because I do think that there's value in thinking through how to attract people's attention in different types of ways. I just don't know that healthcare marketers are really hanging out on Instagram watching reels about healthcare content. Yeah, possibly not. I mean, it's a different form of content, certainly, that you have to use in that. I... I'm not heavy on Instagram at all. And it's something that I always think I should be, but I just you haven't been. Be. Oh my gosh. Yes. This yeah. is totally the type of thing that people would want to access. Well, exactly. It was, it's great to take maybe 60 seconds highlights and use that as um, a, a, also, a piece IGTV. of video. You don't yeah. just need 60 seconds. I mean, you could do a whole interview. Well, not the whole thing, but you can do, you know, the 15 minutes. So I would use it. Definitely. But you're also supposed to obviously use the Instagram app natively if you're going to do live streaming. And um, mm -hmm. you can uh, unofficially um, through your desktop use an app to broadcast live to Instagram. But I, I don't want to be doing things that I'm really not supposed to be doing or that, or that the app doesn't want to be doing. And and the, the look and feel of the podcast, of the, the video show is going to be quite different if I'm just using my, my phone for that. But maybe I should experiment right. with it, certainly. I mean, I'm, well, you could certainly take a picture as part of the program, like me and you on the screen right now, and then post it to your Instagram and say, like, my next guest is, link in the bio. You know, so there's all kinds of ways to use Instagram. I can't see anything else apart from your rights, yes. <laughs> okay, let's move on to... The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready? Okay, yes. TikTok or Twitter? TikTok. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? YouTube. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Influencers. Google ads or Facebook ads? <sighs> Facebook ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. Martech stack or all-in-one platform? Depends. <laughs> well, that can be a both. I don't think you had a both. Like, okay. <laughs> one to one or scale? One-to-one. One. So there are uh, two answers. One answer surprised me. That was, you said TikTok rather than Twitter. Are you, are you actively using TikTok at the moment? I think Twitter is a garbage dump. Okay. I really do. I think it's like one of the worst things ever invented in the history of the world, including almost every social media channel. So Say what you um, mean, yes. <laughs> say what you mean, yeah. Um, I think that a lot of this has to do with the political climate that we're in in the United States. And it's hard to really understand it, I guess, if you're not there. Although I know that every country in the world is suffering through some sort of similar type of experience, unless they've already turned communist. But I think that the first major issue that I have about Twitter is the disinhibition, right? In other words, you can say anything to anyone because you don't know them. You're not sitting face to face to them. You don't have this relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so you'll say things that you would never say in, in when you're sitting with somebody 
in the same room as them. Um, with TikTok, although the comments have that opportunity, it's not really like that. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't, you, it's really just a visual fun medium. Um, I also think that when you're talking about education, there's more of an opportunity on TikTok to introduce people to ideas in a creative fun way than you really have on Twitter. And so I, even though I think that that app has all sorts of problems, basically because it's sucking all of our data into the Chinese government, I still do believe that it could be a more valuable medium for marketers. Certain kinds. Listen, every single question you asked me was, it depends. Mm -hmm. You told me I could only use both once, so I used it depended with MarTech versus, you know, all-in-one, Stack versus all-in-one platform. And I, I really believe that about marketing in general. I always talk about the fact that just because it's a best practice doesn't mean it's a best practice for you. We ungated our content. There are very few companies that would do that. The first piece of content we released with absolutely no gate had 143% more downloads than the content that we published with a gate. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. Can I track those leads? Absolutely not. Does it matter to me? Absolutely not. Because it wasn't the type of content that I produced in order to get leads. It was the type of content that I produced to be useful to my audience. And that's what's so funny about content marketing versus marketing in general, which is that content marketing, the idea was to build relationships with people. It's hard to build relationships with people when you're saying to them, give me all your information in order to get something of value. And so that is a best practice in a place like Cisco because they have ROI issues. They have to go and report back on their numbers and their leads. But for me, running a content company with you know 50 writers, editors, and content strategists, I still have control to say, I want to influence my community positively and I'm willing to lose my lead capturing system for this piece of content, because I would rather share the information and get it out there and create brand awareness. So it's all a, it's all a game of figuring out what works best for you. And the beautiful thing and the scary thing and the fun thing, uh, is that, you know, on Wednesday, what works at 10 AM may not work on Thursday at 3 PM. And that's what makes our game so fun. Should you not have one piece of content that's gated? Not anymore. We removed all of our gates. Okay. And so you just rely on people to come to you and use your contact form on your website when they want to reach out to you? Yeah. So I'll tell you what happened. After we ungated, our social media follows went up 45% and our email subscriptions went up 55%. So, so what's your, what what's your call to action to get people to subscribe to your email list? It, it's on the website and it's available to them You know, when they download something. Right. So in other words, what they were saying to themselves was, the hypothesis is, we, we don't really know, is that, oh, I don't have to give them my information, but they gave me something of value. I'm going to keep following them. Whereas when you download something and you give them their information and they uh, put you on their email list, you have to then go and unsubscribe. So this was a very active sort of following. And it really has turned out to be great for us. Our leads went up. I mean, it's just in every way, it's been really fantastic. And the industry is watching it. I mean, there's been a lot of publications. Anne Handley wrote about it. Andy Crestadina wrote about it. Drew Davis covered it. So I think it's an exciting thing to think about that you don't have to gate every single piece of content you create. However, you, you give about five interesting answers to every question I, that I ask. So I want to dig deeper and deeper, but I can't do that to every single question. So let's just move on to the $10,000 question. <laughs> if I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? This is a stumper. 
I really don't know the answer to this question. I think for me, I would use it on asking my customers in a blind research study what they need from us and how we can better serve them. Because I'm always trying to learn more about who I'm selling to. And the only way for me to know is to talk to the people that already use our services. Already use your services. Okay, just to and what's the ultimate objective to actually try to determine additional services that you should be offering but aren't currently? Yes. And what could we be doing better? How can we improve what we offer them? Because in those answers, what I found from experience is that I can figure out the next time I pitch what people in the same boat need to hear. Great. Well, to finish off, let's shift the focus to someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? He's one of my favorite people ever. His name is Derek Black. Just do a search on him, D-A-R-E-K, Black. Um, and then you could write in conversational tone. He wrote a fantastic article article for Content Marketing Institute on how to write more conversationally. And I interviewed him from a show that I did called What Did You Learn, which ran during the pandemic. Shockingly, it's still around. Maybe I ended it a little too early, but... He was fantastic. I love him. He's so thoughtful. He's so well read. It's just unbelievable to talk to him. Like everything he says is like a gem that you can use. So follow him, talk to him, worship at his feet. He's really a genius. Wow. Well, so this was episode 259 of Digital Marketing Radio, where I have a lead tag from AHA Media shared five incredible tips. Uh, number one, tell stories. Number two, customer-centric language. Number two, the Von Riesoff effect, known as the isolation Rest effect. The Von Restorff effect. Restorff, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what, trying to make notes and actually uh, pronounce words that you haven't heard before is a bit of a challenge sometimes <laughs> in these summary sections, but um, we nearly got there. <laughs> tip number four, use language that um, rhymes to be memorable. And tip number five, the casual leap. Um, allows you to infer something that uh, might have happened, but of course, use that ethically. Don't use that um, in a bad way. Um, your secret software was the Hemingway app, and also you mentioned Grammingly. And your next on the list was Instagram Reels, finishing up with your magical marketer who was Derek Black. I have a what's the best social platform for someone to follow you and to, to say hi? Probably LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay, superb yeah. stuff. Well, I'll make sure that that's in the show notes there on digitalmarketingradio.com as well. Thank you for uh, having me. This was super fun. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts and YouTube shows for BTB brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com digital